Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I'm chatting with Dr. Cassie Wilder. The Peaceful Power Podcast is here to help you live a movement-based lifestyle, utilizing fitness, yoga, and Ayurvedic techniques. Each week, I will bring you a motivational guest or a solo show geared to help you take action to live that peaceful, powerful life. So a little background on Cassie. So Dr. Cassie is a functional medicine doctor and founder of Minneapolis Integrative Medicine Center located in Northeast Minneapolis. She is an expert in helping men and women look and feel their best by taking the time to listen to them and uncover the root cause of their concerns. So um, Dr. Cassie and I really chatted about what is functional medicine? Um, how do you know if a functional medicine doctor is for you? What are some common ailments that she treats? And um, really about helping get to that root cause, which is a big thing of Ayurvedic medicine as well. So um, we really geeked out on um, how do we know what is right for us? And the answer is there really is no like blanket statement, but she will tell you if maybe you should be, you know, having your gut health checked or when, how to cover Maybe your anxiety is related to gut health or hormones. So we kind of went into some details over there. Uh, we also talked about detoxing the liver and um, supplements. So dive into today's episode if you want to kind of uh, also you know, learn a little bit more about functional medicine and um, really what it is and how to get to the root cause of things. Without further ado, here is today's episode. Welcome back to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm super excited to have Dr. Cassie Wilder on with me today. So we're going to kind of break down functional medicine and um, what what that even means. So that's going to be kind of my first question to you, Cassie, is just kind of breaking down, um, you know, you're a functional medicine doctor and people might be like, okay, I've heard of that, but what exactly is a functional medicine doctor? Yeah, no, that's a, I mean, it's an excellent question because it's definitely becoming more prevalent today and the word gets a little bit muddled, but, um, so functional medicine is basically the beautiful blend or the perfect blend between conventional medicine with all of its lab tests and imaging and diagnosis. And then also the, uh, the Eastern side of it with the holistic therapies and things like herbs and dietary changes, lifestyle changes, meditation, um, supplements, things like that to really overcome, reverse, and treat these uh, Western ailments that conventional medicine is uh, has a lot of science behind diagnosing us with. So that's kind of what functional medicine is. It also has a lot of philosophies behind um, treating the whole person. So not just saying, what what is your symptom and let's just treat that, but actually getting to the root cause of the problem and, and looking at you as a, a whole organism and not just, you know, not just a thyroid and not just a uterus, but um, as a whole entire person and all of those are connected together. Um, and it also has a really big, powerful foundation in education. So educating our patients on how to take care of themselves, um, also educating them on prevention, educating them on their disease state and, and why we're doing what we're doing and, um, you know, educate, I mean, educating about everything in between. So those are some of the really big, powerful things about functional medicine that really drew me to the profession and why I love it so much. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, that's the side with I study with Ayurveda too, is like treating the root cause and not just kind of the symptoms. Um, and that's something that I want to talk about too, is when people come to you, is it hard to, at first, if they've been to conventional medicine to, to, you know, to tell people like, for instance, right now, I'm like, I have this cold and this crap going on and, you know, like band-aid effects, like I could take mucinex and whatever, but really I just need some rest and like relaxation and some, 
tea and just chill out. And is it hard to teach people, you know, hey, you actually need to do this because this is the underlying thing going on? I, and maybe it's just a, a Minneapolis thing, maybe it's a Minnesota thing, but generally once people get to my office, they already have an understanding or a desire to find and treat the underlying cause. Um, and so they're pretty open and receptive. I don't, I don't actually think I have any patients who I said, hey, you know, the root cause of this is this, let's treat that. And they're like, oh, absolutely not. I just simply want you to band-aid my problem. I, I don't think I've ever had anyone say that to me. Um, Are people coming to you like after they've maybe tried conventional medicine and then they're like, okay, I need something different? Kind of. So I think I have two camps of people. I have what I call my, um, my crunchy family. So those are the ones that, you know, have the crud and are like, oh, no, I'm not going to take Mucinex. I'm not going to take Dayquil. What are some really natural therapies that I can do to help treat this? So they're looking, their, their first choice was not conventional medicine. Their first choice was holistic therapies and they were looking for someone to help them. Um, and then the other camp of people are the ones who have kind of gone through the mill of, of doctors and been to every specialist, have felt like they haven't been heard, no one's putting all the dots together for them, and they really just need one person to sit down and think of them as an entire person and kind of interpret all their data for them. And that's kind of the other camp of people that I get. Um, that makes so, sense. Yeah, coming from both sides of it. And I don't have a preference, one or the other. I think that conventional medicine gives us a ton of data. Like, I'm not going to scope you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to personally, you know, do an endoscopy. So having that done and having that system in order to, to see the inside organs, if that's necessary is fantastic. Um, and so then just me being able to put information together for them is uh, something that I love to do. And if people are listening, they're like, do you, do you take insurance? Like, is that something that's part of your guys's, you know, practice? Um, no, we actually don't take insurance. So that's a whole nother like debacle of insurance. But uh, the ways that we use insurance is, is helping you, the patient, submit claims on your own. And then also we do take HSAs and FSAs. So those are kind of this new wave of allowing patients to be in total control of what they want to spend their healthcare dollars on. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with what an HSA is, um, but it basically is... Yeah, it's a health savings account that allows you to choose uh, who you want to see and what you what services you want, using it for acupuncture, massage, chiropractic, functional medicine. Um, yeah, using it on things that'll you know def- that are your choice is uh, how we utilize insurance. Well, I just so we have an HSA with my husband's um, <laughs> job, and I'm like, I did not know you could use that for all of those things. So I. I have, because it's just been sitting in an account. I'm like, oh, I can use it for my acupuncture that I've been getting. Uh-huh. You awesome. can actually, so I actually wrote a blog post on our website about the five things you might not know that you can use an HSA for. Um, so if you were interested in some like really interesting ones, go ahead. You can use them for lab testing. You can use them for supplements that your, um, your physician prescribes to you. You can use them for air filters if you have bad allergies and have been diagnosed with an allergic condition. Like you can use them for all sorts of really awesome things. So oh, that's so cool mm-hmm. um, that you brought up allergies. I want to talk about this because I had a past guest. Um, uh, he he was a chiropractor and he was talking about allergies and he had said that a lot of it, if you live in the same area and um, you're exposed to the same things, you know, year after year, you should not be getting allergies. He said sometimes that's a uh, underlying condition like autoimmune disease. And I haven't heard that before. Um, is, do you have any, you know, 
I guess, have you heard that before? I don't know if I've heard that before. It's, it is, it is something to where you can, you know, build up a tolerance to something, right? So if you have like a cat for 20 years, you can build up an immune system tolerance to having that pet dander around. But also it's kind of like eating the same foods over and over again and not having that variability. You can start to develop food allergies from eating the same things over and over again. Um, I've seen that a lot in clinical practice. So I have not heard or nor like really explored the data behind um, behind that. Yeah, I was just, I was curious because I'm like, I haven't talked to anyone else who has heard that either. I'm like, well, that's interesting because I was going to ask some of my Ayurvedic doctors that teach us and see what they knew about it because they didn't, they don't talk about allergies in that um, regard either. So I was like, huh, that's interesting. So I will, we'll put a pin in that one and we can both research that. <laughs> um, so what if, what if people are like, okay, so what kind of ailments do I need to go to for a functional medicine doctor? Like if they break their leg, they're probably not coming to you. Oh no, please don't come. To me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I really, I consider myself primary care. So anything from asthma to allergies, acid reflux to IBS, um, PMS and period issues. Um, I can see the gamut of things. Um, autoimmune diseases. There are, pl- there are other practitioners around Minneapolis who love things like um, really intense autoimmune diseases like, um, like MS, rheumatoid arthritis, things like that, Sjogren's, um, and cancer. People, there are adjunctive treatments to cancer. So their functional medicine is so um, wide. That you, or what's even the word? Like uh, there are so many different practitioners out there who are doing the research on holistic therapies that help with conventional um, diseases and disease states that it, you can find someone for almost anything. Um, in particular, what I really like to do is uh, men's and female uh, health. So I do a lot with um, PMS, PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, endometriosis, uh, like things like heavy cramping and you know, heavy periods and all sorts of acne, breast tenderness. Um, so I like to kind of see the hormonal side of things in both men and women. And that's kind of where I've um, used my social media to educate people on, um, you know, how holistic medicine can help better their hormonal health. Ooh, I love that. And let's, let's chat a little bit about that. Um, Cause I think that's such a key thing is just hormones. And I think we're coming more aware that how important our hormones are. I think like in the past, maybe we just didn't pay attention to it. Or, you know, I think all the diets that we were on in the eighties also kind of wreaked havoc on some of our hormones. Um, but what are some tips that you have for women with how to better their hormonal health? Yeah. So that would be specifically talking to women who aren't on hormonal birth control. So my kind of big recommendation is to start thinking if you are on hormonal birth control, thinking about transitioning off if you have the opportunity and treating your hormones in a more natural way because synthetic birth control doesn't really treat hormone problems. It kind of suppresses them. Um, But for those who are not on hormonal birth control, um, some of the best ways that I um, like to or, or help people with their hormones is through dietary. So making sure that you are eating enough fat in your diet because fat is the backbone of your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, all the steroid hormones. Um, And then also making sure that you're eating enough nutrients. So nutrients and vitamins are what push your entire biochemistry. It is what helps you make your progesterone. It's what helps you make your estrogen. And if you're not eating enough 
of those uh, nutrients through your diet, sure, you could supplement with them. You can take a, you can take a capsule to help you get those. Um, but if you're not eating a, enough of them through your diet, then you're not going to be able to utilize and push that biochemistry that you, that you need to have proper hormonal balance and health. And when you're talking about like, you know, healthy fats, like, can you give some people examples of they're like, oh man, what are some healthy fats? Yeah. I mean, there's the, there's the obvious ones of, you know, avocado and fish. Fish are really high in omega-3 fatty acids. Um, but it's also another one of the reasons why I, um, I hired a dietitian and a functional dietitian to work in my office with me is because she is a wizard. She's literally, she is a magician when it comes to, uh, of giving lists and things of healthy fats and anti-inflammatory foods. So that's how her and I work together. So I'm going to not embarrass myself and try to <laughs> like rattle off a list of, of healthy fats. <laughs> I love it. So when they come in, they can see you and they can see the dietitian. Yeah. So that's a part of our membership program is that her and I work together um, to help, uh, to help our patients. So they get um, their care with me that they need and they get their uh, dietary meal planning and coaching through her as well. And then a part of the membership is unlimited support. So what I was really finding with people is that uh, functional medicine and holistic medicine is another world. It's another lingo that you have to learn. It's another way of thinking. Um, it's another way of shopping. It's, an, you know, there's a lot of other skills that you have to learn, like reading food labels and being a, a health detective. So what I was finding is we were giving people some really great treatment plans and then they'd have a thousand questions in between their two visits or in between their visits. And um, I felt like I needed to find a way to really support these people through their process um, and through their healing journey. And same with food on the other side of that, um, changing people's dietary plans. So um, you know, a, a person with celiac needing to be gluten-free. Um, what does that look like? How do you substitute out their favorite foods for gluten-free foods? Um, and then how do you make their diet healthier and help them through that process? So that's where her and I uh, really work together is providing that unlimited support through messaging and between visits. And then all the visits with myself and her are included in our membership. Oh, I love that. And I think that I've, I've seen that more, um, I guess, locally, where we have like our functional medicine doctor paired up with a dietitian and having those two go hand in hand. And just as you were saying, I think sometimes people miss how important food is. And I think we just forget like that's something that we can, you know, it's not easy to change because I was telling my husband, um, we were listening to one of my Ayurveda schools and uh, it's an online program and he heard it and he was like, oh, like, he's like, I just need to change my diet and exercise. I was like, I know it sounds simple, but those are like the hardest things for people to really change because your habits are so ingrained in you. So I think having that support and having someone to, you know, help hold you accountable, I think that that really goes a long way. Yeah. I like to call it the, uh, the foundations of medicine. So you have exercise, proper nutrition, proper sleep, proper digestion. Um, I'm sure there's a thousand other things, but um, those are the non-sexy stuff of medicine. So everyone wants the advanced stuff. You know, they have Hashimoto's and they want the newest, brightest, most beautiful treatment plan on the, on, on the planet, but they're unwilling to change their diet to something that's anti-inflammatory and mostly plant-based. And, you know, they're, they're, that's not the sexy thing for someone to change their diet. The sexy thing is to have this brilliant, well-researched protocol, but in the end, you can't out-supplement a bad diet. There is no supplement that will help you get better if you're not eating properly, if you're not moving your body, if you're not um, 
you know, sleeping well, if you're not pooping every day, like there's no supplement that's going to help you if you're not having, if you don't have a proper foundation. And do you prescribe to any, like, you know, across the board? Cause I know I've talked to, you know, some other people who are like, oh, everyone should be gluten-free and dairy-free. Do you have any like sweeping things like that, that you, for most people, this is recommended or is it, are you really just kind of case by case? I really am case by case. And that might sound really pretentious, but I don't have any, I don't have any sweeping or blanket statements that I make to anyone because like, how, how could you? So not everyone is gluten-free or, or not everyone is gluten intolerant. Not everyone is dairy intolerant. There are people out there that, that tolerate it just fine. And you're eliminating a huge source of, of carbohydrates for people um, and make, giving them unnecessary obstacles that they have to face in their life and, and why. So I don't have any sweeping statements like that. Um, I love, I love throwing out the term anti-inflammatory. So eating mostly plant-based, I'm a carnivore. I eat meat too. That's not saying stop eating any sort of meat, but you know, mostly, mostly vegetables, healthy fats, um, good quality protein. So not eating, you know, conventional crappy meats. And, uh, I think that that is a, my general advice for everyone, but obviously it looks different when you, uh, on a case by case basis. Yeah. I love that. And that's, I'm also a big fan of that. Cause I'm like, I feel like I can tolerate like for me, dairy is not the best, but gluten, I don't, I don't notice any issues with. And, um, one of the things with the meat, so I have, um, like my, my brothers, and my dad, they're all farmers. And so we get meat from right from the farm and, um, they are pretty much clean meat grass fed. And my husband went out and bought some meat from like the gas station. And so this is always, this is a great experiment for people to try. Cause if they're like, what is the difference between like really good meat and maybe your gas station or just kind of your cheaper meat at the grocery store. And I typically will get my meat if I do get some other meat at Whole Foods. And there is a difference. And he started noticing, cause I, I mean, I've just, we've had it for so long now. And so he just will randomly grab stuff. He was like, Oh my gosh, this is horrible. I'm like, yes, you finally could taste the difference <laughs> like good meat. And like, mm, who knows what's actually in that meat. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, just giving that even for you to try. So if you're not familiar with like, if you've never bought the more expensive meat, you know, just trying it and seeing like, Oh, whoa, there is, there is a difference. Yeah, not only like a difference in taste, because there absolutely is one, um, but the difference in quality. I mean, I'm sure that you've either heard or read the studies on the conventionally uh, grown or raised beef, um, and then the fatty acid profiles, and they compared them to the grass-fed, grass-finished um, beef, and the fatty acid profiles in conventional grain-fed beef were worse. The, the, they were more inflammatory. They had more omega-6s than they did omega-3s. And then in the healthier, um, or in the grass-fed, grass-finished beef, they had a better fatty acid profile. So just in like the health quality of the meat that you're eating, um, beyond taste, it's just, yeah, it, you don't, don't eat crappy meats. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it cooks different too, because that's the other thing he noticed. He's like, why does this look so funny? I'm like, Cause it's not, it's, I don't know what's in there. And my dad, um, he, I remember when we were little, we stopped eating hot dogs because of this. He went to a, cause we're down in Southern Minnesota, which is, you know, near Austin. And he went to a, um, a rendering or the something where pigs, anywho, I don't know anyone who's a vegetarian. I'm like, sorry, this is like too much information out there, but anywho, where the, you know, pigs and cows are taken to their last 
breath. And he's like watching this and he sees how hot dogs are made. And he was like, oh my gosh. And he was, we never again ate hot dogs because he saw <laughs> what went in him. And like my dad will eat anything. And for him to see that, and he's like, no more hot dogs in our family. Like that like has stuck with me to this day. So like my, I don't give my son hot dogs. I don't buy hot dogs. I don't even think about it because whatever my dad saw, I was like, I don't even want to know. <laughs> uh I don't know if I've eaten a hot dog in a really long time yeah yeah so it's stuff like that where it kind of sticks with you where you're like "Ooh, I don't really know what's in this that's why yeah. vegetables are great if you can like I love gardening and so growing them in your garden and just kind of seeing really where they come from it's it's awesome if you have that um capability to do that so I want to kind of talk now about um detoxing the liver uh, that's something that I'm, you know, an Ayurveda, we're kind of really passionate about is the liver. And, you know, what are some good ways to kind of help detox the liver? And why is that such an important organ? Yeah, I mean, your liver is kind of the backbone or the the foundational piece to, to detoxification. My My big thing with detoxing in general is that I like to make sure my detoxes have a purpose. So I'm not necessarily one of those people that let's just push the liver, push detoxification factors just for fun. I like to, on even like a daily basis, I like to have um, a therapeutic purpose for it. And maybe that's just, you know, my background in medicine. Uh, but the, the liver is uh, obviously hugely important in detoxification. So some of the ways that I think that people kind of get confused is that your liver actually needs protein in order to do its detoxification work. So uh, these juice fasts and um, celery juice and all these different uh, ways now that are coming out to detox your liver and push it in particular, it's you're getting a lot of the good uh, micronutrients to do that, but you're missing out on the protein aspect. Um, and so I think that that is one thing that people really miss about uh, liver detoxifications. You guys have, like in Ayurveda, is there reasons why you do, I'm not as familiar with, with that. Is there reasons why you do liver detoxes? Well, we just do, we do two cleanses a year in the spring and the fall. And uh, they're mostly, they're kitchery cleanse. So when we're talking about, it's a little bit different than, you know, because if kitchery is basmati rice and um, mung dal beans, and then like a couple cups of vegetables. So it's not, um, I guess, as stripping, because sometimes we think detox or cleanse, we think like eat nothing or, you know, very little things. So it's a little different. And um, like that's to help prevent going into the coming season. So those are two of the harshest transitional seasons for most people. And that helps prevent you from getting sick. Now I did one this year and I yeah. got sick now. But that also, like my end of my winter habits were not great. And so what we find out now is, so my habits in winter, they actually, that's what's caused me to get sick now, not necessarily my spring habits. So my spring habits are much more back in line. So that should set me up for a healthy summer. And then if your summer habits are okay, that should help you set up for a healthy fall. And that's kind of how they see it in Ayurveda. And so those cleanses really help set you up for that upcoming season from that, you know, especially in Minnesota, that harsh, you know, that's winter to summer, you know, maybe a little bit of spring in here for us. And then that fall to the winter with a drops of temperatures. And that's kind of what they see in that front with the liver and with the cleanse. So it's not like a harsh strip away. It's just a nourishing cleanse. Oh, that's really cool. Um, 
Yeah. Like I said, I kind of like to have like therapeutic reasons why. So probably one of the more common reasons why I do any sort of liver detoxes or liver cleanses is for patients who are transitioning off of hormonal birth control. Mm -hmm. So most people with that are on the pill, well, most everyone on the pill is doing um, estrogen based pills and estrogen, its first pass of, metab- uh, of detoxification is through the liver. And that can really get kind of gunked up, for lack of better terms. Um, and so that's generally when we're doing any sort of like liver cleanses or liver detoxification is to help with estrogen metabolism. Mm, that makes sense. And then what are your thoughts about like fasting in general? So I did for a few years practice intermittent fasting, and I absolutely loved it. Um, I think that there's a lot of good research and data surrounding um, fasting and intermittent fasting in, in specifics about uh, with weight loss and for um, helping to balance blood sugars. So what happens when you fast is obviously your body needs to break down its own fat stores to help keep uh, energy available for your organs. So you go into kind of a a ketosis state without being, you know, in doing ketogenic. That's kind of two separate, uh, two separate things. But I, I really like uh, intermittent fasting. So even just a daily, um, six to 12 to 16 hours, 14 to 16 hours, trying to work up to whatever you can do. I think it both helps with your blood sugars and it can also help with, um, giving your gut some rest. I think that a lot of people eat, too much and too often. And I'm going to caveat that with like, it's a case by case basis, obviously. Uh, But your gut doesn't have enough time to just be and and rest and not have to mechanically digest and mechanically move food through the, the tubes, through your large intestine and small intestine. And I feel like that fasting period gives your digestion a chance to just sit and not do anything. And I think that, you know, we as humans laugh and we're like, oh yeah, you need to rest and and recover. Well, so does your organs and so does your gut. So kind of giving it that prolonged fasting state can help with that as well. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan as well. So, um, one of the things with the gut, I think some of us like the gut and the brain are connected. The more that we're finding out about this, um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like how is our gut connected to our brain health? Yeah, no, that's one of my favorite things. Um, myself and Catherine, um, our dietitian here, we talk a ton about this. Um, and so your gut and your brain are directly anatomically connected through what's called the vagus nerve. It's not vagus like Las Vegas, but vagus, V-A-G-A-S. And um, that sends both sympathetic, so the fight or flight, and the parasympathetic, the rest and digest signals from the gut to your brain. And so if you're having, um, you know, any sort of gut issues, so gut inflammation or even, uh, you know, bowel disease like Crohn's and colitis, um, eating too many of your food allergens on the other side of the spectrum with IBS, having bacterial overgrowth, candida candida overgrowth, that's going to send those negative messages from your gut to your brain and can cause things like anxiety and mood disruption. Um, There are also several bacteria that they're finding there they are culturing people's stool um, which sounds pretty gross but they're finding bacteria can actually produce its own source of your brain's neurotransmitters so neurotransmitters are those brain chemicals that send signals and and create different 
um, I guess, moods or states of being. So things like serotonin can help with your happiness and feelings of, of well-being. Dopamine is really associated with pleasure and motivation. Um, and so there, and GABA is your calming neurotransmitter. So they're finding that these bacteria can actually secrete their own sources of these neuro, of these neurochemicals, these brain uh, neurotransmitters. That's what I was trying to say. Um, so they're finding that if you have overgrowth of bad bacteria and you don't have enough good bacteria that are helping you in promoting these sources of, of neurotransmitters, it can cause, um, things like anxiety, depression. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, that's kind of one, one big way is the microbiome of how your gut and your brain are connected. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that's just so fascinating. And, and um, for us just to kind of uncover that link between the gut health and the brain health. And, um, you know, one of the ways, you know, I, I always hear they're like, oh, take kombucha. Is that something like that you recommend? You don't recommend like when people just kind of like I need to have more fermented food. Is that for everyone or how do you kind of see that? Um, sometimes I find that people like hate me because I don't ever give these vague broad sweeping recommendations, <laughs> but um, no, I don't recommend kombuchas and fermented foods for every single person. Um, if you have a compromised gut, so if you have really bad bacterial overgrowth, um, taking fermented foods can actually make you feel kind of worse. So probiotics in general are not assassins. They're not going to go into your gut and just start, you know, annihilating all the bad bacteria that are in there and then take up residence themselves. Um, if they if they did that, they probably wouldn't be a very good uh, commensal bacteria for a human species anyway. So um, taking probiotics on a daily basis when you have a compromised gut, so like a poor microbiome or even candida overgrowth, they're not really going to be doing anything for you. So that's when we, if you're having things like gas, like a really bad gas and, and trapped gas, so causing bloating, abdominal pain, uh, constipation, diarrhea, if you're having any sort of abdominal um, symptoms, that's going to be where we say, all right, you're not a really probably a good candidate for kombuchas and fermented foods. Um, probiotics at this point, let's figure out what's living in there so we can culture your stool. I, I personally don't culture your stool. The lab does, <laughs> uh, but they, they can culture your stool. They can find out what's living down there, down to the specific bacteria, and they can find the specific yeast. They can, we can culture your breath so you can give breath samples. We can find SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and then really be specific and smart about how we um, eradicate and get rid of all of those bacteria and then uh, be really specific about repopulating them um, with the good ones. And so that's then at the end of the treatment plan where all of these good fermented foods and kombuchas and probiotics would really come into play. So if someone's listening, they're like, man, how do I know if I, how my gut health is? Is that something that you have to test for or will people automatically know if their gut health is a little off? Generally, people have a good uh, idea that like they kind of have this intuition that their gut health is off. And generally what people will, what, what I will find that gets people into the office is that they're eating really clean and they're eating really healthy foods and they're still experiencing a lot of gas, a lot of bloating. Um, they're still, you know, going to the bathroom every few days or, or on the opposite side of the spectrum, they're having diarrhea and they're like, wait a minute, I'm eating really good and really clean and I'm still having all of these problems. What the heck? And that's generally when we do like to test and, and find out what's living, uh, living down there. Okay. 
Perfect. And then if people are eating poorly and having all of those things, clean up the diet. Yes. So that, that's kind of the low hanging fruit on that one is let's clean up the diet, you know, even help people. Uh, sometimes we just, let's do, you know, if this is a general recommendation, uh, general recommendation for a podcast listeners, like the whole 30 can be a really great way to kind of reset your eating. So it's, um, you know, got a lot of good resources and just doing something to help clean up the diet. And then if that takes care of your, of your abdominal symptoms, awesome. Great. That's wonderful. If it doesn't, then we talk. Hmm, very cool. I'm going to try to get that for my little brother. He never listens to me, but I'll be like, see, you need to clean up your diet and then we'll talk after that. So <laughs> I'll play him that little snippet. <laughs> so one of the things that you were saying with gut health is it can cause anxiety. Now, does that necessarily mean if you have anxiety, your gut health is off? They're not mutually exclusive? I don't know if they're mutually exclusive. Like that's always the root cause of anxiety because there's definitely several root causes of anxiety from um, hormonal health to thyroid health to, um, you know, obviously gut health and, and genetics and your, uh, how you genetically create neurotransmitters. So there are tons of different root causes of anxiety. So they're not mutually exclusive. But that doesn't, that doesn't say that we don't recommend dietary changes and even look at gut health for everyone with anxiety because we definitely do. Okay. And then there's other ways that you can kind of treat. So I feel like anxiety has just gotten you know, a lot more prevalent um, in the last few years. Like besides diet, are there some other tips that people can do if they're suffering from anxiety? Yeah. So there are, like I kind of alluded to, there are several different root causes of anxiety. So even looking at um, your hormonal health. So when is your anxiety worse is kind of that question. So people will say my anxiety is so much worse right before my period. Um, I just get uncontrollable um, every day. I just feel um, like my heart is racing. I'm sweaty. I have ruminating thoughts. I can't sleep. Um, and that would kind of allude us to something like a progesterone deficiency. So estrogen and progesterone are kind of like our uh, Western yin and yang of estrogen being really hot, fiery, and dominant, uh, which is yang, and then progesterone being really cool, calming, and nourishing, which is very yin. And when your estrogen and progesterone are out of, of out of balance, you get this. Real, and estrogen is, is a lot higher, and progesterone is lower. You get this really hot, fiery um, uh, way of being of, of state, and so it can cause a lot of anxiety, um, especially right before your period. So even just kind of listening, digging up details and prodding for more, um, prodding for more information is how we figure out kind of, you know, how that's, how, how your anxiety could be caused by something else. Okay. And then I, cause I'm just thinking of, you know, um, just comments that I've heard about it from, you know, friends or other people that I've talking about anxiety. This is something that you don't necessarily have to suffer with all of your life. This can go away. Oh, most definitely. There's definitely different levels to anxiety too. So personally, myself, I get situational anxiety, which I find to be um, pretty common and actually kind of normal. Um, so things like doing uh, Instagram videos or do doing podcast recording, <laughs> um, I I like to I do get like kind of like anxious about doing these kinds of things. And so in that uh, in those instances, I have. I have things that I like to take and things that I like to do to help center myself and, and kind of control that anxiety. So things like CBD and meditation, 
um, L-theanine and GABA are some things that I've done in the past to help kind of with my situational anxiety, but I don't have low grade or even everyday anxiety. And the everyday anxiety um, that's really impacting your life um, in negative ways is something that you don't have to suffer with. Um, it's It may be common, but it's not necessarily normal, and it's definitely something that we can tackle. Very cool. Okay. Um, and then you talked about a little bit about supplements. Is that, um, you know, super, obviously, um, cause I'm getting, I'm, you're the same as me is very individualized programs. Um, so people can come in if they're like, okay, what supplements should I be on? They can get like blood panels from you and that's kind of how you determine it. Yeah. So everything that I do is, is data driven. So I'm not the one that's going to say, oh, you sound estrogen dominant. Um, here's, you know, dim because the marketing material says that it's good for you and good for your estrogen. Um, everything that I do is data driven. So we get blood panels, we get whatever, whatever we need to get from, uh, to really diagnose you and to have a, um, an idea of what's going on so that we can adequately treat you. So supplements to me, yes, they are, um, they get a bad rap for, um, you know, just making people money and being useless, but in, if you really, in school, we learn herbs, we learn nutrients, we learn therapeutic doses, and we learn biochemistry. So when you kind of look at the label and you know what you're looking for, you know the dosage that you're looking for, and you know the mechanism of action of what's going to be happening, supplements really do turn into medicines. Um, they might be in really convenient capsule forms. Sometimes I can convince people to take liquids. Um, but when you know what you're doing with them, uh, you can ignore the marketing material. You can ignore the label and, and give them to people as medicine. So I have a number of women on prostate formulas. Women don't have prostates, but prostate formulas are really good at inhibiting the conversion from testosterone to dihydrotestosterone. So why not? I mean, it works in men and women just because it says prostate formula on it doesn't mean anything. So, well, I like it. Um, and is there like powdered pill or, you know, liquid, is there one that's more fast active or that you recommend? Um, we kind of look at your digestive ability and how well you're able to absorb things. So obviously things like powders and liquids are going to be easier for your body to break down and absorb. And so, um, and you also look at what the vitamin is and how does it need to be absorbed? So things like vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin. You should be taking it with, um, you know, within a carrier that is uh, fat-soluble. So MCT, vitamin E, um, extra virgin olive oil, whatever they have the carrier for the vitamin D is how you should be taking it. So also kind of looking at um, how is it delivered and what, how is it best delivered. Very cool. So if people want to know more um, about your clinic and membership model, uh, where can they find you and get more information about it? Yeah. So the easiest place to find me is on Instagram. So I kind of use Instagram as like my soapbox for educational content and um, spreading the message about there's a, there's a different way that might be better for you. Um, and that there's another way of approaching health and looking at, at health. That's not just through a conventional lens. So um, Instagram at our handle is MPLS integrative MC. Um, and that's where we post a lot of com uh, content surrounding um, functional medicine um, we also have a website, and I, I tried to be really thorough and um, detailed on our website about our membership, about what we do here, about how we're how we're different, and uh, more you know nitty gritty about what it looks like to to be a patient. So 
our website and our Instagram would be two really great resources if you were um, looking for another approach or, you know, kind of a different way of looking at your health. Right. And then where is your clinic located? Yeah. So we are in Northeast Minneapolis. So we are actually, by the time this podcast air, we are expanding into a, our, uh, a really big and beautiful new office here in Northeast. Um, we're still going to stay in the same neighborhood because I love this neighborhood to death. And um, so, yeah, we will be at the, basically over by I-35 and Hennepin. So I am super pumped about that. So you might find on our Instagram more information about where we're located now in our new space. I love it. Yay. Um, And then I have one final question for you. And I always like to throw out a weekly challenge to all the listeners. And then when I have guests on, I have you throw out a little challenge to everyone. So what would you like that challenge to be this week? Yeah. So recently I posted on Instagram. Well, by the time this comes out, it'll be like a couple months old, but that only about 5% of our population is getting 30 minutes of exercise per day. Like five, 5%. That's crazy. Um, and when we were kind of talking about liver detoxing and things like that, movement and exercise is one of the best ways to um, facilitate detoxification, both through lymphatic movement and also through sweating um, and getting things moving. So uh, that's going to be my biggest recommendation is getting your, get your 10,000 steps in this week um, and move your body at least 30 minutes every single day. Oh my goodness. I have not heard that stat. And that is crazy. Only 5%, 30 minutes. That's Oh, that's, that's really not that long either. Isn't that that a really hard one? When I saw that, so that's um, on the government website, actually, under their physical education, uh, quick facts. And when I read that, I was like, oh my, oh my goodness. Man, because I, oh, like I, I mean, I probably like move for three to four hours a day, sometimes too much, but that's (laughs) crazy. And then you think about kids and that's where I'm like, because my son, I can tell like if it's a rainy day and we haven't been able to go outside or go someplace with a park or somewhere indoors like he literally is taking laps around our house like just running because he has so much energy and I'm sure kids are like the same oh I don't even want to look at the kids stats because the recess I just saw an article about getting kids out there and moving more so oh that's so sad that that is so low ah Okay. Yeah. Well, I have new commitment to getting people to move. Yes. So thank you for that. <laughs> oh. uh, I mean, there's just beyond just, you know, the vanity of weight loss and looking trim movement is essential for human life. So, um, yeah, I mean, it just going for a walk, like it doesn't have to yeah. be crazy. Like just getting out there and doing something. Yep. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, Dr. Cassie, it's been such a pleasure having you on and, um, sharing all your wisdom with us. Yeah, no, this was fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power. Thank you so much for listening to the Peaceful Power podcast. And if you want more information about today's show, head on over to andreaclawson.com, where you can also find my free guide to working out for your body type. And if you haven't already, I would love it if you could rate and review the show over on iTunes and share it with any of your friends that you think would benefit from hearing the peaceful power message. Thanks again, and go out there and spread your peaceful power.